0: Welcome to Think Orphan, the podcast for orphan excellence, a real talk with real people navigating the global orphan crisis. Let's join our hosts, Phil Dark and Dr. Karen Hutchison. Welcome to
1: Season 5 of the Think Orphan Podcast. I'm very excited. As you can tell, though, my, my usual co-host, Karen, is uh, taking a little break this summer. And so, you know, just for your listening pleasure, pleasure, I'd heard so many people loved this man so much at the end of last season that we brought him back for the beginning of Season 5. So, Dr. Rick Morton replacing Dr. Karen with Dr. Rick. And uh, very excited to have you, Rick. How are you doing right now?
0: And doing great, loving the summer, trying to stay cool, which is a full-time job in Birmingham, Alabama. But uh, we're, uh, you know, we're just we're just making it happen down here.
1: Well, good, well, yeah, we get to talk for the next uh, next few episodes, um and then Karen will be back, but uh until then, I get to hang out with my good friend and we're going to be talking about a few of these great interviews that uh, I was able to do, and you've you've been able to listen to them and we can we're going to be chatting about them but you know before we get into all that, you know, I just want to hear from you a little bit about um something that 's encouraged you lately in uh you know, whether it's in the orphan care uh, movement, whether it's just in your in your life, in your church, in your organization, I just kind of want to hear something that's encouraged you.
0: Yeah, actually, um, man, even today, uh, had the opportunity. One of the one of the fun things that I'm getting to do here uh, is invest in some. Uh, some young ministers some young pastors um, through our church here in birmingham and uh, and so probably one of the most encouraging things I've done in the last few weeks is have one of the young guys that's a part of that group that uh, that preached for us on Sunday and got to break that down with him a little bit and uh, and and share on uh, on the basis of um, trying to become a a multicultural church in the midst of of what is an environment sometimes that's not incredibly multicultural, and uh, and so have have really really enjoyed um, being able to walk with these young guys, being able to talk a little bit through the essentials of the gospel, and uh, but but then also to celebrate a broad diversity of traditions and preaching approaches and stuff like that. So I'm I'm kind of having a ball this summer, I'm getting to have a little bit of access to these guys and enjoying some time.
1: Yeah, I'm sure all of that. That's that's that is very encouraging. But all of that I'm sure comes in between watching a ton of uh the real football as we talked about last uh last season since we do have the World Cup now and it's just really been able to get you educated on on real sport. How how has that been?
0: Man, it's it's been great. I've learned a few things. Yeah. Um now I just instinctively like walking through my yard, walking through the office, I just take a dive yep. and lay down on the ground and roll around as though somebody has hit me with a baseball bat because mm-hmm. I've, I've learned apparently that that is a, that's a soccer technique. And I'm just trying to bring that into fullness in my, in my, the rest of my life. Yes. Um, you know, I, uh, I refuse to call it, um, football. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know. so it doesn't, it doesn't matter but how you many just did, huh? no, 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 no. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, and, and I'm absolutely amazed. I watched the celebration of, of the English fans the other day. And I think I literally, I may have to become, I may have to become a football fan because I, I, I think I saw a group of people that are almost as excited as a group of Alabama hmm. Crimson Tide football.
1: They were, fans. they were,
0: um, almost. Yeah. So, so they, they sort of endeared themselves to me a little bit, but, um. Yeah, I don't not know. There yet. Not, uh, not there yet. yet. Not there I'm, yet. I'm, I'm counting down the days. We're like 80 days to the start of uh, yeah. the start of real football.
1: Well, you know, there's always hope there's always hope and so we will continue talking. I do have to say my son has been uh, grabbing his knee a little bit more lately, my seven-year-old um, and he was watching Brazil the other day and I think that was part of it. I actually was wanting Brazil to do really well until I watched them at the end of the last game they played just really going overboard on the faking. So, you know, that was really <laughs> discouraging to me, I, I do have to admit. Um, Alright, so now we get to move forward. We get to move away from that. Those out there. Thanks for humoring us for the first few minutes there, but... uh but I do want to kind of bring it to the back, to the, back to the series here because we have some great episodes coming up here. A lot of stories, a lot of just stories of different people doing some amazing things that they've experienced, some incredible things in their lives. Um, and God has brought them to uh, the lives of orphaned and vulnerable children in very different ways, but all in ways that are making tremendous impact. And so I'm, I'm very excited for these first four episodes. And the first one today is with Carrie Armbruster. And she is a woman who is the executive director of Alliance for Children Everywhere. And she's doing some amazing work that she was able to talk with me about. Um, one thing that I also want to, want to you know, just give a shout out to Carrie and Eric, um, her husband, who were able to host my massive family of seven um, a few weeks ago at their, their home in Seattle, uh, Washington. And it was such a pleasure to get to know her and her family. Um, we had a great dinner with them and, just had a blast. And so, you know, that's what's so cool about all this is, is, you know, not just we get to stay at people's homes, although that was nice, but we really get to do life with people if we open ourselves to that. And when we open ourselves to that, I think it makes collaboration a whole lot easier um, when we're really developing trust um, in, in each other, in our organizations, in our lives. And I think that that's something that's critical That gets lost a lot of the time is that building of trust where it really is simply just doing life sitting in a room with someone eating dinner with them talking about their life talking about their hopes and dreams and, and what's got them to where they are. And so that was something that we were able to do. And I just want to, you know, like to share that because I think we want to, you know, I want to encourage everyone out there to just open yourselves up to getting to know people deeper and to be vulnerable and to let people in. And then you never know what's going to be able to happen. Um, so I just want to thank uh, Karen Eric publicly for that. But also, I want you just to know that, you know, as we're having this conversation, it really is something that she believes and lives out these different things we're talking about in this interview. So I look forward to hearing feedback from y'all, whether you do that on uh, Facebook or on an email to us. We very much appreciate and we uh, will definitely. Um, uh, learn from your comments, and hopefully, we'll be able to, you know, respond to any questions or any uh, things that we can help you more with. So here it goes with Carrie Armbruster. Well, Carrie, it is so good to have you here with us on the Think Orphan Podcast.
2: Thanks, great to be here, Phil.
1: So, Carrie, you know, you and I have been able to get to know each other a little bit uh, over the last uh, couple months, and I've I'm definitely the better for it. I've I've really enjoyed hearing what uh, what you guys are doing um, in Zambia and the, and the impact you're having well beyond that. Uh, and so I was just hoping you could share with our audience a little bit about your story, where you got to where you are today.
2: Yeah, sure. So um, I really had the privilege to have the winding path that it is for those of us who end up in this world of uh, working with orphans and vulnerable children and families. And, um, many, many years ago, I was working in healthcare and working with children here in the U S um, and had the privilege to meet a couple of women who started Alliance for Children Everywhere way back in the, the late nineties. And, um, My brother actually introduced them to me. He knew that I um, really had a heart for kids and those, especially in developing countries and families. And he invited me over for dinner to his house when they were in town. And really that began this relationship with them Um, and it was. Not until many, 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 many years later that I found myself getting involved um, and taking a trip to Africa um, and developing a, a very, very close relationship with the founder of ACE and uh, ultimately making a complete career change and God directing that through the stories that He does to put me in in this place of getting to to lead the organization, but it was uh, really a lot of little baby steps and uh, a lot of prayer and conversations with folks that that brought me here, um, and ultimately allowing me to find and get to live out a calling that has been really a a huge blessing for me um but even before i met uh these two incredible people um and and especially the founder virginia woods um it, it started when i was in high school and i took a trip when i was a senior in high school to the ukraine and we were i was a part of a singing group um And we, we visited an orphanage. It wasn't the purpose of our trip, but Mm -hmm. we were, we're passing through and, um, boy, just like it is with so many of us, it was a tough visit and it was uh, a place that was dark and hard. And, um, the faces of those children are as clear to me in this moment as, as they were back when I was a senior in high school. Um, and, that really was the seeds that were planted for me. So uh, 25 years later, um, what I what I thought was potentially the seeds of me adopting a child actually turned out to be um, God putting me in a place where I get to have an impact in the job that I have now, which looks very different than I ever thought it would. Um, so it's been a really uh, incredible journey for me to to get to be in this work um, and have the impact that I get to have.
1: Yeah, that's that's so it's so encouraging to me to hear these stories. Oh, you know, I love what I love getting to do what I do because I get to hear stories like yours that are, are reminders to me. Um, really my own story of how this was not the expectation. Um, but hopefully an encouragement to so many others, other people that are working through this, other people that are thinking about doing something like this, and other people that are in it to be a reminder of, you know, how God works, how we are brought to things sometimes that, you know, while there might be expected, maybe the way it happens is unexpected. And for my, my story, it's, it's very unexpected the whole way. Something I just learned too. This is This is fun, audience out there, you know, something I didn't know that I learned already. That we both sang in Ukraine on trips. Oh. And that was you know, that's something I did not know about you. My wife and I actually met on a trip and that was part of it. We uh, oh. were over in different countries, Ukraine, Uskarad, Ukraine being one of the places and I sang awesome. it was actually I was there mostly for the soccer, but i i I joined the uh, choir as well because I was able to do that, and it was a lot of fun, but cool, but you know that little things that's bonus that's bonus folks that was not <laughs> on the uh that's that's that's, the, right. that's why it's You're so welcome. great to be unscripted, yeah, and yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you for that, yeah <laughs> so now we're going to get to get to get into kind of the the. Work that ACE is doing, you you, you mm-hmm. mentioned it a little bit, and and on on the website, if folks go to the, go to the website, can you share the website real quick? Okay, uh, yeah,
2: sure. It's www.childreneverywhere.org.
1: Yeah, and so on that website, uh, this they have the four leverage points among mu- a lot more information, but these four leverage points that multiply their effectiveness and and really have uniquely positioned ACE for their success. And and those four things are they work in partnership with established indigenous churches. Depend on an alliance of collaborators and supporters from other nations, and you folks listening out there, you know how important that is to the Think Orphan podcast, the work that we're doing here. Uh, they operate temporary homes, not orphanages, with a focus on family, and their staff and management in the countries they work in are all local. Um, they have a cultural awareness, relevant programs, shared responsibility, and the potential to fully release the programs to the local people and reproduce the model in other places. Now, that is language on a website, but it's so much more than that um, to what ACE is doing. And uh, Carrie, I, I, wanna, I want you to be able to share how you guys are living out those leverage points and, and doing a whole lot more than that as well. But with those four things, one of the things that you're doing is foster to adopt work uh, in partnership with the local church and government yeah. in Zambia. Can you just yeah. share uh, with our audience what you're doing with that and how it has made an impact?
2: Yeah, you bet. So uh, it's really been a huge privilege to uh, be able to work alongside the the Zambian people to bring Foster to Adopt to this country. Uh, For those of you listening, you know the really the significance of that work in a developing country, not only um, overcoming just the challenges in working with a government to do that, but really overcoming both the spiritual and the cultural barriers to bringing foster to adopt, um, to, uh, to a country and to the people. And, um, so we began, uh, began that work by, like we, like we said in our, What's distinctive is working with the people. And we came in and have been building relationships since the late 90s. And we started really working closely with the church and the government. And one of our approaches was to uh, come into the country and establish a nonprofit organization there that is actually managed and run by uh, the the people there. And uh, what that looks like for us is that we actually have uh, no staff from uh, the US or uh, a Western country, but it's all staffed by Zambians. um, And we partner together in that. Um, And that was pretty significant for us because we wanted to have their buy-in and uh, their participation completely from the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, Because we knew that we were going to be the outsider and the visitor and not fully understand all of the cultural nuances and uh, the way that the government worked. So uh, we really began working with the church uh, in the country of Zambia, particularly the church is very strong. Uh, the church has the ear of the government um, and the church is, uh, has incredible presence all throughout uh, the, the very poorest communities all the way up through the affluent communities. Um, and so we really uh, developed significant partnership in both places. And we, um, that just gave us this access to all levels and allowed us to begin to really develop those partnerships um, with those that we needed to begin to have this conversation around sensitizing the right people and the community about uh, fostering and adopting. Um, and. The the people understood that, well, yeah, we take children into our home, and they do that very naturally. The children that they take into their home are their extended relatives um, or those that are within their family. But the concept of taking a child that was outside of their own family or... Uh, even a bigger deal outside of their own tribe, Mm -hmm. um, was really unheard of. Um, And so we began to sensitize and and share the message of adoption uh, by talking about how we're adopted into the family of God. And uh, we let the pastors give this message because the pastors have so much respect in the community, so much respect with this um, uh, from the people and in, uh, you know, being able to give a message that, uh, you know, they trust. And as we would have families who were interested in fostering and adopting come back to us, um, they would just say, you know, I have never thought about it that way. I've never thought about the fact that of course I've been adopted into the family of God and he takes me in that I could translate that into this very practical way to respond. Um, and it was, it just completely has changed the tide. Hmm. So it, in parallel with, that kind of sensitization to the community, we also then were doing the work with the government um, and coming alongside of them um, and talking about the very practical pieces of how we do foster to adopt. Um, and as we know, there has been a history of so much corruption in this world where children have been trafficked. Um, and from the own from the people in the government, the social workers in the government who, um, have been trafficking children or, you know, so there, there was a lot of contentiousness there. Um, so we had to come at it with, um, a lot of gentleness and patience and, uh, slowly building trust. Um, but but coming at it from both of these angles where we were bringing this word to the community, uh, but also then saddling up with the government to say, let's do this together and let's build relationship and, and come at it with some best practices and with uh, things in place that will allow us to do this with excellence and um, really asking the government to help us champion the work. Um, and to say like, listen, we want you guys to be right up here leading it with us. Um, Mm -hmm. we're not in it for the glory. Um, but we're, we're happy to let you guys take the, take the glory here and say, look, let's do this well. Um, and that really, you know, some of those little things allowed us to really have a lot of, um, success in this. Uh, and, and I think that, you know, We continue to show up, right? I think that a lot of people kind of come in and it's hard. I mean, we've been at this for over 20 years and uh, it's easy to just feel like you take, you know, two steps forward and then three steps back and you're just like, man, how are we ever going to make this happen? But, you know, you keep showing up and you keep showing up. And I think um, that really makes a difference Um, and knowing that we're in it for the long haul um, and and all of a sudden, they're like, okay, let's do this. We're in it together. Right. So that really um, has been a big part of this story. And, and now, um, especially in the last three years, we've made some huge, huge strides for uh, children and families in Zambia.
1: Yeah, that's so encouraging. And I, I think that the, the, the folks out there, as you're listening to this, to hear the themes that you know we talk about a lot, but you're seeing lived out in, in exactly what you just talked about in the last few minutes – the collaboration, the work together that sim- isn't simply just going in and saying, hey, we want to do this, but the things mm-hmm. that you said over and over, we're developing trust, developing trust, building relationship. That's so critical to it all, right? Because you can't earn that conversation to tell them about the best practices and all that until you earn mm-hmm. that trust and to build that relationship.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, how have you How have you um, been able to kind of enter into those? Because even to get the opportunity to build trust and build relationship, you need to really have, you know, an ability to do that. So how have you really Mm -hmm. been able to do that in the context of the government in particular? Um, Mm And I think you mentioned it with the churches, but even with the churches, how has, you know, ACE been able to really develop that trust even from the beginning?
2: Yeah, right. So um, some of that was, you know, finding those people in the church. But again, again, you know, in, in a country like Zambia, you know, the, there are some significant church leaders that have the ear of the government. So, you know, you're finding those really key relationships and those pivotal people who can make those introductions. So, you know, part of it is going, you know, let's find those people mm-hmm. and build those relationships and get those introductions. Um, but the other people, the other, the other approach to it was really finding those partners in Zambia who also have, uh, those connections to the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that was a way to do it. Um, you know, the other, the other way that we did that was that, as we hired social workers um, to be doing the work on our team, they're connecting with the social workers that are working kind of on the ground for the government. You know, these are the, the field social workers that are out there on the ground, and we be to develop relationship with them. And um, that's a tough job. I mean, they are out there and um, they don't have a lot of support always, but we began really coming alongside those social workers and they began talking to their supervisors. And the word kind of made its way up. And before we knew it, we were talking to the chief social welfare officer for the country and on up. Um, And so we kind of started from the bottom and and worked our way up. And that was really um, a way that we began to to, um, get the ear. And then, you know, the honest truth is Phil, like we just covered this in prayer and we asked the Lord to open doors and to pave the way. And we asked people to, um, you know, uh, make those relationships. And, you know, before we knew it, we had, uh, the ear of the first lady. Um, and so I think that it was, you know, not only being diligent to establish those relationships and have those connections, um, and then it was God and he opened those doors and, um, he, paved the way for us to begin to really have those connections and, um, and move. And uh, he blessed it. He blessed the work.
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. And, And one of the other things that was consistent through that is another thing we talk a lot about on the show is the interconnectedness with Discipleship, as you were talking about discipling the families in their their own adoption, to really be able to encourage them to understand that, um, training them up in in family and what that looks like and what that means, and and that that's really become um, not become it is a big part of what you guys are doing to reintegrate children into their biological families as well, and to do other family right. preservation and family strengthening work. Um, what does that work look like for you guys and, and how are you encouraging how can you encourage our audience really to do similar work in what they're yeah. doing around the world?
2: Yeah, sure. So we follow that very similar, you know, as as we've started to talk about at that hierarchy where um, you know, we when a when a child, when the government uh, or the police, you know, social workers or police bring a child to us, we're, we're looking to reintegrate that child first. Um, if we can't do that reintegration, then we're going to look to do foster to adopt. Um, when we do those reintegrations, often we're reintegrating that child back into a vulnerable family. So we follow through that work with that family uh, to do some uh, strengthening and family preservation. And so um, uh, to that end, we are have really been building up our family preservation program to to include all of those things that will help that family uh, be strengthened and be able to um, uh, have a safety net so that when they are discharged off of our program, uh, they are are empowered, uh, to handle the crises that are inevitably going to come their way. And, um, you know, so we're doing the skills training and the, the savings groups and, um, our name Alliance for children everywhere means that we work with an alliance of partners, right? Mm -hmm. We're not trying to be the expert for our families in, Everything and be everything to them. So we work with others to do that and to resource our families with what they're going to need along the way to be strong. Um, And so within the within the country, there we work with quite a few other uh, nonprofit partners as well as with the government to resource our families so that they're strong um, and really make sure that you know they're taken care of because the family unit is. Critical. It's absolutely critical to making sure um, that these kids are taken care of. Like, it's the long term plan for these children and for the, the children in this country is that these family units are strong. And then as we see those individual family units become strong, we see these communities get strong mm-hmm. and. And, and the exponential effect of those strong communities is that we see these other things come about, right, education and clean water and all of these things because these communities come together uh, because they want to see goodness for each other and for their neighbors um so it's um it's really important that um for as as much effort and focus and as we also are putting on the reintegrations and the foster to adopt we're putting an equal amount of effort and focus on strengthening these families Mm -hmm. and empowering these families it's really really critical
1: yeah absolutely and i I loved reading uh again reading your website talking about this and encourage you folks out there to go check it out and it's one of the, the flaws of a podcast is you don't have hours and hours to discuss all these things that are there. But fortunately, you have more resources available on the website. But the, the three, kind of the, the Notes version, so to speak, are, are nutrition and nurture, which is really kind of the, the triage part, right? That, that mm-hmm. like come in and really help them get to where they need to be and then empower and earn um as you said in that in your answers you're empowering them and helping them to uh get training and get them you know to be able to equip them and then save and support which is you know mm-hmm. that long-term planning and, and i love that sim- the simplicity of that yet how complex that is within it right um so w- anything to add on that um that uh, you might want to help the audience with with those three things
2: yeah, sure. I mean, I think that, like you said, it's kind of, it's a nice alliteration, right? You know, mm-hmm. and it sounds like you can kind of package that up and market it out. But the reality is that, you know, um, you don't, it's like, you don't just hit the easy button on this mm-hmm. with families, right? These are f- really vulnerable families. And it's, um, they're years and years in of being vulnerable and um, coming alongside of them with good social work practices actually takes a long time and it's one-on-one and you don't get to hit the fast forward button on that. And it isn't easy, right? Mm -hmm. But it takes that one-on-one time to, to be in connection with families, talk them through it, work it out. And, it's changing a cultural mindset with them, and it's adjusting cultural behaviors, and it's not easy, and it takes a lot of time. But we have to be willing to uh, come alongside of them in that way and in that relationship. So, you know, um, when I'm when I'm talking to folks about this, um, it isn't just as easy as you know, oh gosh throw people into a group and they have their savings box and they're meeting together it's also one-on-one conversations with a social worker to talk about what's hard um you know let's let's give some classes on trauma-informed parenting let's give some classes on what's the grief and loss that you're experiencing one-on-one and maybe we need to get some time to sit and talk about that like we've got to also offer that to our families in a one-on-one way and um You know, it takes it takes years to get these families strengthened and empowered. And that's the work ahead of us. And we've got to be committed to that. Um, But what what we see on the other side of that is a strong family. And when we see that family get strong, they now become an advocate and a part of helping other families get strong. And we're seeing that, right? When our families, when we have a family get strong, they actually turn around and they come back and they're talking to the other families in our program. And boy, I I, I was there um, during one of our our group meetings. And we had a, a woman come back and she was standing up and and talking to a group of, it's mostly women in our program. We have some men and, and grand and and grandfathers in our program. And she was talking and, and she's like, she said, women, if I can do this, you can do this. Mm. And it was kind of a a goosebump moment for me because, you know, when I go, I know a lot of the women, they recognize me. I'm there pretty frequently and, you know, I encourage them, but man, it was, it's nothing when i mm-hmm. say it they kind of look at me like that's nice thanks for coming and encouraging us but when the, when one of their own stands in front of them and says that it's so powerful because she's been there yep. she knows and she can stand in front of them and say you can do this mm-hmm. and because she, she's walked the journey years of moving and the you know the process of getting there. Um, so it's it's incredibly powerful and empowering when they can see that somebody who's been there and walked that journey can do it and, um, and that we're there for the long haul, right? Absolutely. We are in it. Um, it's really powerful.
1: Yeah, that is. That's super powerful. I, I, I talk to people all the time about that. You know, the family preservation, the family strengthening is so critical and so much of it is strengthening your own family first so that you can mm-hmm. impact and encourage others to do the same as mm-hmm. you said you know we're, we're in it with you and we're doing mm-hmm. it and we're having to do this ourselves so mm-hmm. yeah that's mm-hmm. fantastic so i want to now kind of transition mm-hmm. to talk about you know it's similar and it's all related to what you're doing but the children and families initiative that you're yeah. working on with some uh you know five other NGO partners um yeah. can you share about that because i just absolutely love you know if, if, yeah. if you've listened to this podcast for about one and a half episodes, you know how passionate I am about collaboration. So this just Mm -hmm, gets me so mm -hmm. excited. Um, Can you share with our audience about it?
2: Yeah, sure. So this has been a pretty, I'm pretty stoked about this as well. Um, And it's been an absolutely incredible partnership for us to be a part of. So again, it's five NGO partners and um, we are We are the tiniest little partner of this, so it's been really incredible for us to be at the table. But essentially, um, these five partners have been brought together to really look at the country as a whole and to. look at the whole uh, spectrum and continuum of children in families and everything from, you know, reintegration to uh, foster to adopt to also deinstitutionalization. So looking at, you know, uh, the last Four years have been looking at uh, you know what what what's the situation in Zambia right? We've got approximately fifty institutions, and that represents you know somewhere around eight thousand kids. And what's happening with these kids? You know, most of them have a family, as we know. Um, why are they in an institution? And what's it going to take for us to get them back into a family? Is it even possible? And the the partners represent. The covering the whole spectrum. Right. So we've got partners who are very much uh, their superpower, if you will, is at the policy level. Right. They're going to be working with the government to change legislation for these children and say, okay, when we get a child who's separated from their family, actually, we are going to say they don't go into an institution at all. They go into a family. And they go into a foster family. If we can't reintegrate them, um, that's what's gonna happen. Okay, we need processes to do that. All the way down to those um, you know, a partner like us where our job is that we're we're on the ground recruit sensitizing the community, we're recruiting families, we are training families, we're assessing families, we are assessing children, we're working directly with the government to make recommendations on matching, we're doing Follow ups, post placement follow ups, all of that. We're also doing family preservation and all of those things. And so, what's incredible about the partnership is that, like I mentioned earlier, no one person or no one organization is going to be the answer from the top to the bottom. It's just not going to happen. But as a collective, we can absolutely address it and, and we have to do it with the government. We want the yeah. government to be our partner and be a strong partner and we need us and they need them. We need each other. Yeah, and, right. And, yeah. And, and, and so, you know, it's really been a pretty cool thing for us to be in partnership together And so, what's happened now is, in the country of Zambia, we've got this initiative that is effectively, you know, having the government say, "Okay, let's begin to move through this process of deinstitutionalization." We have said, "Yes, we want children in families," and now we are in the process of marching towards doing that and saying, Mm -hmm. "Okay, what are the next steps?" So it's it's been a really um, like. you know, you begin to see the needle move on this and, you know, you can feel so much like, oh my gosh, uh, the needle's not moving. It's not moving. And I literally in the last two or three years, I am like, the needle is moving. I am watching it move like every year. So it's, it's, Pretty cool to get to see that and to be a part of it. And for the staff that that I have there, we have we have about a hundred staff in Zambia. So we had a pretty large group of Zambians working there, and um, you know. I, they are enthusiastic about this, you know, Mm -hmm. when we talk and we Skype and when I'm there, it's like, oh my gosh, Carrie, okay, this is happening. And I was meeting with the government and, you know, um, so it's, it's been a really exciting initiative to be a part of and we're getting ready to launch into phase two of the initiative, um, and, you know, it isn't without its challenges. I mean, partnership is is special, right? You know, mm-hmm. you, you've got to come to it ready to kind of lay down your ego and and work together. Um, but boy, when you can be in lockstep together, it's it's really powerful. Um, and like I said, when you when you're ready to do that, you can really make some impact.
1: Yep. Absolutely, it's what I talk about all the time with people. That you know, you can do so much more together, but you know, it's a lot more fun in the end. But it's really messy. It's really yeah. hard. It's and yeah. and you can get the synergies that can happen um, when you are humble and you don't care about getting the credit and you don't care about your name being on it. You don't care yeah. about anything, but you care about the results of the kids being loved better mm-hmm. with yeah. more excellence. Then amazing things can happen. And so I'm so encouraged by this, and can't wait to see how it continues to. Um, just change lives. And I'm not just saying the lives of the children, but also I think the lives of the, of the organizations and hopefully will really be an example um, and will be a pilot that other people can, can replicate all over the world. So pretty psyched about it. Yeah. I think
2: there's, I think there's definitely, um, this will have impact for other countries. I think it's going to be a really great model, especially in the Southern Africa region for what can happen there. It's really exciting.
1: Absolutely. So um, let's let's now we got a couple more things to cover. And one All of right. the, the last kind of subject before we get into the two questions we ask everybody are short term missions. It's a it's a topic that has a lot of conversation. Um, mm-hmm. And I know that you guys have developed your thoughts uh, over the years uh, on short term teams. And, and can you share that with your with the audience here?
2: Yeah, sure. So this is something that um, I've spent quite a bit of time on as I've come into uh, my position here with, Alliance for Children Everywhere, and um, I've actually worked a bit with Faith to Action on. uh, Those guys are my friends over there, and um, we uh, have really changed our approach to short-term mission, um, and how we do that. And so we have two temporary homes uh, in Zambia, and so at any given time we have um, about 60 children that are in transition with us that we're in the process of either reintegrating or in some some process of foster to adopt. And um, in the past, we've we've had visitors who come and who visit our children. Um, But we have uh, really completely shifted our our model away from allowing those children to be visited and um, understanding and beginning to understand our responsibility to protect uh, those children and to uh, really make sure that we are... Doing what we can to um, guide them through the trauma and the grief and the loss that they're experiencing um, as we prepare them for getting back into a family. Um, and it's not been an easy transition because we have so many incredible people that come alongside and support us. Um, but I'll tell you that when you take a moment and you take the time to begin to talk to people about this work, um, and about the importance of that, um, I have yet to have a a person argue with me about Mm -hmm. that. Um, or to say, you know what, Carrie, I just still think it's important that we come and we spend time with these children. Um, but what, what I think is important actually is that you offer some alternative ways to engage, um, engage people in the work Um, and so you know that's essentially what we've developed is okay so when you do come here is what we can do together and here is a way to engage Um, and you know family preservation because we have a family preservation program this is such a powerful way for people to come and to be involved with the families and the children because they're within the context of their family um, to engage with them Um, we also um, have people have a really neat opportunity to uh, get to meet one-on-one with the children and families that we've where we've done a reintegration or a foster to adopt Um, and what we've found is that the experience actually has become really powerful for those who've come to to see um to see these kids, uh, because they go, they have a kind of an aha moment where they're like, ah, okay. I see. Like they get to actually see the full picture of the hearing from the the parents and seeing the child with the family. Mm -hmm. Um, I will say that, um, you know, it felt like there was kind of this pendulum swing where short-term missions just really got this bad rap and, um, like, oh my goodness, it just felt all bad. And like, we shouldn't ever go and ever, um, you know, go do this work. Like we're just kind of, everything is bad, but, um, I, uh, you know, you went on, you've been on short term missions. I've been on short term missions and it was a really powerful experience for mm-hmm. me. And I am, I very much think it's such an important way for us to be able to go and Experience another culture in a short period of time when we do it in a way that is just simply having some mindfulness around where we're going to visit and knowing, you know, going with a a different mindset than thinking, gosh, I'm going to go in two weeks and I'm going to solve a problem. Um, And when we simply have just that simple of a mind change where you're going, gosh, I, I'm going to visit and learn something for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Just that simple of a mind change, um, allows us then to go and be able to, um, you know, how ha- really for some people have a, a, a complete shift in, maybe what they might do with their life. Like, it is really that impactful. Um, so I think that there's such an important place for short-term missions, and I think this shift that we've been having and how we approach it is really, really good, and what I'm hoping is that we can, we can come back around to going, ah, oh, okay, this is good, and it's a way for the body of Christ to be the body together, right. and to be engaged together, and to go and see and to tell a story and to come back and advocate and to um, link our arms together and be connected Um, and to do it in a way that is, um, you know, loving and, um, you know, kind and that is building up. So we're going to get there, right? We're going to get there because we've all we're all committed to it. Um, and, but you know, it's like partnership, right? We're going to kind of bumble along the way. Um, and we're going to learn, but we're going to get there. So I'm, I'm so, so grateful for all of the work that we've had some of these organizations put into developing these tools because people like me don't have the time to do that, but man, all day long, I'm like, Go look at Faith to Action. Go yep. look at what ACCI is doing. Like, these are mm-hmm. awesome tools. I love them. I have shared them with the churches that we partner with. I've shared them with other partners. And um, I, they've been uh, really helpful for us and really helpful for some of our churches.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I I could not agree more. I absolutely could not agree more. We'll have those on the show notes. The Faith to Action just recently, I think last week, in fact, put out the short-term yeah. guidelines uh Connected.org, GACCI, as you mentioned, Rebecca Nepp and the great work they're doing, has yep. a very long, interactive, uh, phenomenally comprehensive um, uh, look at short-term missions for people out there. I, I strongly mm-hmm. encourage you to go into there. If you are leading a trip this summer, um, it's not too late to check out those things. In fact, I would say that's required reading, as would, yep. I'd say, about When Helping Hurts. And I know you had to hear what Brian Ficker reminded me of it when he said that when we had him on the show, and he said, you know, it's, you're not going to change the world in a week, but you could do a lot of damage in a week. And I yeah. think, in, in knowing, though, that Brian, a lot of people interpreted him as saying, don't go on trips. But the fact that they have Helping Without Hurting and Short-Term Missions, an entire series on that, it says that they're not saying that we throw out short-term missions, but there are ways, like you said, to do them incredibly Mm -hmm. well that can have such an impact but we need to treat it as you said and it's really been a theme throughout this entire interview the the relationship the trust building, Mm -hmm. the coming Mm -hmm. in as you would with any other relationship you have you're not going to come in and say i have all the answers in a brand new relationship um in your neighborhood so don't do the same when you go somewhere else so yeah thank you for those i i yeah i think you said it so well and i think folks out there if, if you have you know if you're looking for a real good way to talk to people about it, I think that was a very, very good way to encourage people to really see the see the whole conversation and to say that's what it is. It's a conversation that we're having about it that we all have a lot to learn, and we all can do it. But as you said, if we can do it together, we just walk along, take one step in front of the other, and, and we'll get there. Um, yep. So thanks yeah. for that. Thanks for that, Carrie. Um, yeah. Last uh, couple questions we ask all our guests. The first one, what have you read, watched, or listened to recently that has impacted your understanding of how we can love orphan mm, and at-risk yeah. children with excellence?
2: Yeah, so let's see. Um, <clears throat> lately, I, you know, one of the things I've been, I've been reading some bookshop, books on, um, some leadership books lately, and I've. I am always getting articles and reading articles about specifically orphans and vulnerable children and that kind of thing, but, um, have been also just doing some more, you know, personal care and reading. And, uh, I just read a book that Henry Nowen wrote probably a while ago, um, but it's called out of solitude. And, um, it's, it's such a great book talking about kind of leading you through um, spending personal time to reflect and, and make sure that the um, our hearts and minds are in alignment with Christ as we go out into the world to care, um, and then um, as we encounter the tough things in life in the community, that we also have patience and expectation as He brings you know, as we expect the joy that is to come. Um, and so not directly related to, say, the topic of orphans and vulnerable children, but as I can, and I'm sure many of your listeners can uh, relate, like it's hard work mm-hmm. and it can be exhausting and it can be, it can burn you out if you're not careful. And especially those of us that are leading organizations and running them, um, that we have to be so uh, protective of those those places in our hearts, and we have to make the time for that. So that's been a, a really good book uh, for me lately, as I um, I I am in that that space of caring for and, and tending to where I am uh, with that, so that when I go out to lead and do this work, um, I'm I'm letting it be led by the Holy Spirit. So, Out of Solitude, Henry Nowen, short little book, but really, really powerful.
1: Fantastic. Uh,
2: yeah, and so we'll, check that one out.
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, just just for personal, and I'm sure other people out there, what's what's one of the leadership books that you would recommend yeah. of all the leadership yeah. books out there?
2: Yeah, so this one, it, it's uh, one I read recently. It's called The Culture Map by Aaron Meyer, and uh, I work you know, so closely with, uh, I mean, a lot of us work cross culturally, um, and we have to essentially learn to speak a different language. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know, I'm sure other people out there feel like you've, you know, kind of bloodied your knees on, on that a little bit and, um, and a lot of humility coming with it. And the culture map is just a really great way to assess your own culture and others. And, um, so it's a really great book on understanding your own culture and where it lies within the context of other cultures and uh, I found it really really helpful um, so I would I would highly recommend it if you're leading teams across cultures um, and or you're you have other team members that are doing that regularly in crossing cultures uh, really really great book
1: it sounds great I'll definitely check it out. Um, Last question. What one person Mm -hmm. has most impacted your understanding of how we can love orphaned and at-risk children with excellence?
2: Mm. Oh, gosh. Hands down, Jenny Woods. Jenny Woods is the founder of Alliance for Children Everywhere. And um, this woman, we've spent hours, hours talking together. Um, Jenny herself has fostered over 100 children in the uh, uh, Native Native American reservations in the Arizona. She adopted five children herself. Um, we spent time together here in the States as well as in Zambia. And, um, she, from the beginning, from the late sixties has been talking about children and families, children and families. And, um, she's just been an incredibly powerful influence in my life. Um, she's the reason I'm, I'm doing the work I am now. Um, and has, has just completely influenced me in a, a beautiful and incredible way. And I'm really, truly, truly grateful to her for that.
1: Well, fantastic. Well, Carrie, thank you so much for your time, for sharing your wisdom with our, with us. And, and I just look forward to continuing this conversation someday very soon.
2: Yeah, thanks, Phil. Pleasure to be here.
1: Well, thanks again, Carrie. Uh, I just, you know, am... Im- reminded over and over as I get to interview these people, as I get to, uh, talk with people about what they're passionate about, about what God's doing in and through them. It just never ceases to, um, encourage me and challenge me to, to really think, um, better in, in how we're doing all these things. So Rick, I'd love to hear just, uh, you know, what'd you, what'd you hear from, uh, from Carrie that really stuck out to you and, uh, what we can, what we can take away from it.
0: Man, I, I think there's a there's a ton in that interview and, and what you know what Carrie said. You know, first of all, I, I think just personally, um, you know, she's a rock star in in the the world of what we do. Um, just the way that the Lord has used her um, is is incredible, and, and it's it's been really instructive to a lot of us. Um, I, you know, I think it, it, it beginning at the very beginning of her story. I think realizing that um, you know that the people that are involved in in this community, um, nobody nobody goes into a phone booth to change clothes, right? There aren't supermen and superwomen that are doing this. That you know, she's she's talking about where God first began to deal in her heart um, was on a on a high school mission trip, um, you know, in in Ukraine. Um, I always find that funny because it seems like so much of the conversation that we have around orphan care um, that. It centers on a country like Ukraine and, and people that uh, – and it, and it just it, – it shows the I, – I think that's a little bit of a testimony to the idea that, um, you know, that God is, God is using the foolishness of this world. He's using the out-of-the-way places and kind of the out-of-the-way people. Um, you know, here's somebody who, who had a, a, a very successful career in the corporate world and, and somebody who, um, you know, had, had great capability – um, and could have done a lot of things in life, but, but God called her um, into this. And, and so I hope that's an encouragement for some folks out there today that are, that are listening, that are, that are saying, hey, God's beginning to stir in my heart or God's burning my heart for something. Um, but, but, you know, we, we can't always see the rest of the story. And I think her story is a great illustration of, of those things that God begins to plant um, in the heart that he'll bring the harvest as well. And, and so now to see, um, you know, to see ACE and to see all that they're doing in Zambia and see the way that they're influencing other ministries around the world as well um, is, is just a great testimony to something that God began in the heart of a high schooler um, on a mission trip, um, you know, with a with a stopover to sing for you know, for a group of orphans. Um, I, I think another thing about that, I'm just really terribly impressed about with, with Carrie and something that I know she carries as a, a deep conviction in her heart and leads this way in her ministry is um, the commitment to the indigenous church um, that, that very much, you know, she leads a ministry that is, that is deeply committed. And we heard those things, you know, today um, in what she said to, um, to empower Local believers to come alongside and to to create capacity, um, and and I love their I love the definition of sustainability. Um, you know, really that you know that they work with in their ministry, and so that that sustainable means that that the local church can continue to carry it on, right? And and many times I think we get caught up in conversations about financial sustain sustainability and and about investment strategies and about those kinds of things. And I I just think they have a much she has a much greater grasp on like the totality of what sustainability you know really is. Um, and then I think that you know, this, this really kind of unwavering commitment to, um, to, to doing what they do well, um, unwavering commitment to, you know, this idea of, of not building homes for children, but being, being a temporary solution, providing temporary homes, but moving children toward permanence, um, that in the face of, um, a lot of, a lot of hurt and a lot of need, um, to stay the course in that is tough. Mm -hmm. And so I really, I love the fact that, that she understands who they're called to be and what they're called to be and has led that ministry to, um, to, to continue that work directly. But, at the same time also thinking in incredibly deeply about collaboration and about others that are filling other spaces and other roles along the continuum of care for vulnerable people. Um, and, and in a world, and you and I talk about this, I think every time we get together. And so this, this time shouldn't be any, you know, uh, th- there shouldn't be any different is, is that, you know, one of the, one of the great fallacies I think that we continue to fight with in, in ministry to vulnerable peoples and, and, you know, and, in, in, in this as a gospel enterprise is the tendency to want to do it all ourselves. And, 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 and we all know, it doesn't take somebody that's really all that sharp, right. To figure out that we can't do it all on our own, mm-hmm. that we're not going to, you know, that, that God's not going to let us steward over an organization that's able to do it all on its own. Um, and, and so we, we are really called upon Um, you know, to, to to work deeply in collaboration. And I'm just always um, grateful to hear when I hear um, accomplished, you know, well-positioned, well-seasoned leaders that, that make that confession and say very readily that, you know, that, that the, that we're called to collaboration. And so I love that about her and, Mm -hmm. and about the, about the ministry that she leads.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's something that, uh, I mean, all those things, uh, from Ukraine as well. I mean, God, as I said on the interview, it was pretty cool. Like we both sang at a, (laughs) uh, in a square in Ukraine when we were, I was in college, I wasn't in high school, but I was funny, a friend on Facebook the other day posted a, uh, picture from Brno Czech Republic (laughs) on the square that I sang in and Pat, you know, and you know, Went around talking to people about God in this square, and hey, he was taking a Hey, will you promise
0: me? Will you promise me that if we're ever in Eastern Europe together, that I can get you into the middle of a town square and you'll sing? I'd totally do it.
1: If we, are, when we are, when we are, because I'm sure we will be at some point in a square, I will absolutely, you know, as long as I know the song. Got it? You got it? <laughs> as long as you're not too embarrassed. I mean, I typically embarrass my kids doing things like that.
0: Right. So, I'm. It'll be fun. I am unembarrassable, so let's, uh, let's go for it.
1: That'll do it. That's, that's a date. Okay, so um, then the other, the other thing that was so cool, and I think it goes to all of that stuff, and I think it's even what we were talk, talking a little bit about uh, before the interview was the idea of the grassroots buy-in, right? You know, the collaboration, the, the idea that collaboration is not me coming in and saying this is how you do it, now do it, and I'll coach you how to do it the way I do it. That's not collaboration. Collaboration is coming in and saying, what are our respective gifts and talents and passions and dreams and hopes? And let's talk about how we can do all that together for the kingdom. What does that look like with, with, you know, finding out, learning what the other sides, hopes and dreams and passion and skills and gifts and talents and how are we meant to work together? What does that look like? What? And it's a lot of time. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of, you know, challenges, but I love talking with Carrie and other people like Carrie about, you know, not only in other organizations, but with the government, you know, with non-Christians, with other people who are not necessarily faith-based, how can we work together to do kingdom work, right? Because you can't, even do it on their own with just the church, right? The church should be leading the charge in this stuff. But you can't do things without the government at some level and, in, in you know, being a part of it. So how are they encouraging those conversations? How are they encouraging conversations with UNICEF and other organizations like that who are involved? And they are deeply involved a lot of times in a lot of these countries. And so how do we do that in a way that doesn't lose the gospel? And I think, uh, you know, Russell Moore had the book Onward recently talking about how can we engage culture without losing the gospel, right? What does that look like? And I think that applies all around the world, right? How can we engage culture? How can we engage these issues without losing the gospel? And that goes to the collaboration. And I think, but it goes into, hey, where are you? Where are we? How can we not so much meet in the middle? Because it might not be in the middle. It might be closer to where we're at. It might be closer to where they're at. We don't know that until we engage it and get in the kind of get in the mess together so that was something that i really heard through her strongly throughout the interview and she said it you know explicitly a few times but i think just overall it was a a theme throughout um yeah so that was one of the things there's a couple others but what do you think about that
0: i you know i think that you know the other thing phil i think that we have to remember and that is is that is that's not a one-time conversation that Mm -hmm. i I think many times we we talk about even in collaboration about finding those spaces where we can work together where you know finding those spaces where there's alignment um but but sometimes we we carry off those conversations in a really simplistic way like that's a like that's a conversation that we have and settle and move on from and the truth is we never really have it settle it and and move on from it and I, i think the best the best collaborators, the best people that are that are working together well are, are those people who continue to talk about, um, you know, the shared spaces and about the, you know, the opportunities for work together. Um, and we realize that we're in a complex and changing world and that, um, you know, that as things ebb and flow around us, that we're sort of constantly renegotiating those things. Mm -hmm. And, and we're, we're constantly, you know, needing to be in communication with partners. We're constantly needing to talk about goals and, and objectives and things that are, um, you know, that are important to us. uh, Because, because I think some of the, you know, some of the least effective work in the world and some of the, some of the, you know, quite honestly, some of the worst collaboration has started really well, mm-hmm. um, but the problem is that that we that we moved on and and we think that we've moved on and we have alignment and we have agreement, but realizing that over time, you know, some of the parties may you know may morph, may change, may you know may may amplify in the direction that they're moving, and and if we're not cons- consistently pursuing that, um, then you know then what we're going to end up is we're going to end up being unequally yoked, right with, um, you know, and, and obviously the Bible has much to say about that in, in a marriage relationship, but that doesn't, that doesn't work among partners either. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so I, uh, I, you know, love when we see examples of ministries that actively do that. And, and there's no doubt that, you know, ACE is one of those, Mm -hmm. one of those types of ministries that keeps that conversation alive. And so that's, that's really, um, you know, good to, good to hear.
1: Right. No, that's, that's good. That's good. Cause I think that is so true. Like in any relationship, because between our conversations, we talk with other people as well. We work with other organizations, different things come into play. If it's a different country, maybe a law comes into play, maybe some sort of change in the the tone of something or something in the culture, or something in the leadership or some, you know, there's so many different variables in all these nuanced relationships that we need to be in the reality too is sometimes we're not intended to partner at that time right so that's something you might learn in relationship as well and you know some of our friends over time we hang out with more than others you know and some we we stick in you know stay in touch with over the phone or whatever there others we don't and and that's okay right that's not a problem but you need to get into that relationship. You need to dive to figure out whether it is something you're supposed to be working together. It's not not to be siloed. Um, the last thing I want to talk about, I mean, the one thing that I want to point out because I want to – I love it is the idea of the cycle of family strengthening when we develop strong families They also can help make other families strong. That's something that we talk about a lot on this show that, you know, we, we need to work on our own families and strengthen our own families and then help others to do the same. And we'll, we'll alleviate a lot of the orphan crisis, but, and I think that's something that I don't think anyone's going to argue with and, and we can understand that. But one thing that I think is, is something that doesn't get talked about a lot, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on it. We don't have, unfortunately, the amount of time we need to really, um, you know, dice it up like we need to, but. I just want to hear your thoughts because we talk about finding a family for every child, right? That, that's the ideal. What we don't talk about a lot is, you know, do we really think it's realistic today to find a family for every child? Yeah. And what about the kids who don't want to be in a family? And they're not, you know, if they're a little bit older and they're not willing to be at this point. Like, what do we do with that? Because we know that that comes from a place of hurt and brokenness and abandonment. But can you force a child to be in a family? Um, if they don't want to be,
0: what does that look like? Nice, easy yeah. question to finish off with. Today. Man, the, thanks. Thanks for telling me that we have a limited amount of time uh-huh, and then uh, uh-huh. you know an epic question. I think that's a podcast episode for us to do of later. Course. Yeah. I, you know, I, I, I honestly believe that, that, that should be our goal, right? Like our, that, that should be the goal that we strive toward. Um, but I think I've, I think I've said this maybe on, on this podcast before. I, I think we also have to balance that against the 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 gripping reality that Jesus said to us that we're going to have the poor with us always, mm-hmm. um, and you know and and like what what I think Jesus really meant by that was that that like we're going to live with something that's not ideal and we're going to live with something that's affected by the curse of sin and and the brokenness and the fallen nature of the world around us um, from now until He comes back to reestablish His kingdom, right? And so so i think there's there's a difference between having that as a goal and something that we strive toward Um, but, but having that as a, as, as something that we completely sell out to, to the exclusion of, you know, some, uh, some other solutions and things and that may get you some mail, um, you know, coming in for some folks, I think we strive with every fiber of our being to see that become a reality in the lives of, of, of every child. But we realize that in the moment there are times where that's just not, it's not possible. And sometimes quite frankly, it's not even good. Mm hmm. That that the that the solution and 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 like the drive toward permanence in the life of a child may mean um, something that's solid and stable and helpful, but maybe not necessarily completely permanent. In in order to move us toward permanence, I heard you know I I, I think that's maybe even some of the some of the work that ACE does in in Zambia is mm-hmm. is about creating temporary safety in order to allow a family to to get well and, and, and to, and to be equipped and in position so that they can, you know, they can reintegrate children and move toward permanency. Right. Um, and, and so I think we can't blindly say that our goal is for, for every child to be in a family and leave it in and, and be that simplistic about it. It, it has to be a you know, there's a multi-layered conversation Mm -hmm. to have about what that means and, and when and how fast and, and under what circumstances, I think that's a great goal. Um, but at the end of the day, we, we also have to be worried in the short term about, you know, safety and security and attachment and a lot of things that are important in the lives of children, um, as we're, as we're seeking that goal toward permanence.
1: Yeah. And, we all knew when I asked that question. There's no way we could cover it all in a minute thirty or whatever we had left.
0: But I, but, but I really tried.
1: Yeah, no, that was. I think that was very good. I think it was. It was right on. And I. I think that it is so nuanced. It's so difficult. But that, I think that's what I wanted to kind of put out there for everybody. That we need to continue this conversation and not think that there's one easy, quick solution that's going to take care of everything. There's no silver bullet in this stuff. That's why we're having this podcast. That's why we have these conversations. That's why we continually, hopefully are working together to figure it out because we all have blind spots. We all have things we don't think about. We all have, you know, things that, you know, may apply in our area, but not in another area around the world. So that's why we all can help each other and we all can help you, you know, help each other challenge each other to be better. So with that, I'm going to do a quick recommendation because we have gone a little longer than normal, but I think it's worth it. I hope so. I hope that you thought so too. But this last, uh, recommendation. So today it's going to be Phil, just Phil and Dr. Rick, but really Phil recommending something. Um, and it's, this, this is rooting for rivals. I've talked about it or I will talk about it on some of the interviews that you're going to be hearing here in the future. And I'm actually going to get to do an interview with uh, Peter Greer. We're going to have a conversation similar to the one Rick and I had a few episodes ago where we're just going to be talking with each other about the book and how, you know, it's co- collaborations really being lived out. So rooting for rivals. It's about how we need to be collaborators, not competitors, something we talk about on this show. Um, I absolutely love that Peter Greer and Chris Horst wrote this book because they are living it out with Hope International. And, uh, I strongly recommend you go out and grab this book. I believe it will have released by the time this airs. If not, it'll be soon thereafter. You can go get it at Amazon somewhere else, but strongly recommend it. Um, I strongly recommend it. I'm only halfway through it. I don't normally do that, but I, I know Peter and I know Chris and I know that the rest of it's going to be phenomenal. So with that, I just hope and pray that everyone out there, all you listening, um, first of all, thanks for the download. Thanks for listening to this. And uh, I just hope and pray that you take what you've learned today and what you've learned through this podcast and everything else that you're reading, um, and you'll use it to help you understand how you can love orphan and vulnerable children better and better each and every day. Thanks a lot. Have a great week.